We're going to read from Matthew chapter 21. It's page 988 in the chapel Bible. It's 988, Matthew chapter 21. And uh, when, I, when I planned the sermon um, series over Easter, uh, the reading that I picked for this morning was just the first 11 verses. And then as I was um, studying and preparing, uh, I realised actually it's really important that we go through to verse 17, which is what we're going to do. So let me read and then I'll pray and we'll explore what God wants to say to us this morning. So Matthew chapter 21. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfil what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. When the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise? And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany where he spent the night. So let's have a word of prayer before we uh, uh, explore these verses. Father, thank you for your word to us this morning. Thank you that this is your, your holy word. Words that you have inspired. Words that have power to touch and change our lives. Father, may our hearts and minds be open and attentive to you this morning. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, I don't know if you remember, um, just a couple of weeks ago, in the, there was a lot in the news about uh, the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge on their um, visits to the Caribbean and uh, visiting various uh, countries. And there were various uh, sort of photo opportunities that they had while they were there, some of which uh, didn't quite go uh, according to plan or didn't quite have the effect that they had intended And uh, one of the photos that you may have seen was on the last day of their visit to uh, Jamaica. 
they, um, they, were, they were sort of in procession and they were standing in the back of a Land Rover uh, being uh, sort of being driven along and they were giving this inspection to, I forget who they were they were inspecting but they were inspecting somebody and uh, William was sort of dressed up in his military garb and, uh, uh, and they were riding about this Land Rover and they did it very very deliberately because it evoked a visit that the Queen and the Duke of Edinburgh had made to Jamaica exactly 60 years ago and it kind of, it sort of backfired a bit because everyone said oh, it was all very uh, kind of anachronistic and colonial and um, uh, kind of uh, set the wrong tone. But they did this thing very deliberately because immediately it was compared with photos of the Queen and the Duke of Edinburgh from 60 years ago when they made the same visit. And that was why it was kind of, you know, their advisors to uh, William and Kate, they said, well, you should, you should do this in honour of the Queen. That was the idea. It would, um, but it evokes this memory of something that had happened 60 years ago. It was done very deliberately. And on this Palm Sunday, when we're thinking about Jesus riding into Jerusalem on, on a donkey, it's done very deliberately. Uh, you know, Jesus always does things very deliberately because they will evoke memories of things that have happened before. And uh, Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey is very deliberate. And, and afterwards they, they remembered uh, this verse from Zechariah, See the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. It's like that. But it wasn't just the prophecy that it reminded people of. It reminded them of an event that had taken place in Jewish history uh, about 160, 170 years uh, before Jesus rode into Jerusalem. And around this, the time of the Passover, uh, there was a festival. And it was the festival of the rededication of the temple. And it remembered a time about 160, 170 years before when a Greek ruler, Antiochus Epiphanes, uh, tried to wipe out the Jewish race. He invaded Israel, he uh, overran Jerusalem and he wanted to impose Greek culture on Israel. And so he set up uh, uh, different worship in the temple. He sacrificed pigs uh, in the temple. He offered worship to the Greek god Zeus, and he turned the temple meeting rooms into public brothels, which, as you can imagine, didn't go down very well with the Jewish population. And it provoked an uprising. It's called the Maccabean Uprising. It provoked an uprising against what he had done. And at three years, exactly three years after Antiochus Epiphanes overran the temple, Judas Maccabeus uh, rode into Jerusalem at the head of an uprising and cleansed the temple. And it's recorded in one of the intertestamental books between the Old and the New Testament. And when you read it, it's almost an exact description of Jesus riding into Jerusalem. Uh, They sang from the Psalms, they cried Hosanna, they waved palm branches as the temple was cleansed and as the temple was purified. And so, as Jesus rides into Jerusalem, all of these things are being evoked and all these memories are being evoked. Yes, we remember the prophet Zechariah said, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey. Remember, as we've been going through our studies in Luke and um, Jesus' journey to Jerusalem, what's the expectation that the that the people have as Jesus is coming to Jerusalem? What's their hope for the Messiah? Well, it's their hope that he's going to be a military ruler, a military king. He's going to ride into Jerusalem at the head of an army. He's going to ride in on a horse and he's going to get rid of the, uh, the Gentiles. 
they're going to be utterly trounced. That's what they're expecting. Remember, Jesus all the time has been trying to re-educate them about what kind of Messiah he's going to be. Not the military king that they're expecting, but the king who comes gentle and riding on a donkey. The king who comes to bring peace. All of that is being evoked. But then also they're thinking about this time when the temple was desecrated and uh, uh, the Lord sent a rescuer to reclaim the temple, to purify it, to rededicate it. And that's how Jesus comes riding in to Jerusalem on this occasion. They brought the donkey and the colt, uh, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. Uh, apparently there's, there's a, lot of, uh, a lot of discussion amongst uh, uh, Bible commentators about uh, Jesus sitting on both the donkey and the colt. Uh, because uh, because it says Jesus sat on them. So some commentators have thought, oh, that means Jesus must have sat on both the donkey and the colt. How did he manage that? Must have been quite a straddle. So there's all sorts sorts of interpretation. But um, uh, take it at face value. Uh, The them refers to the cloaks, not the donkey and the colt. And uh, so it's amazing what um, Bible scholars get um, caught up in discussing is how did Jesus sit on two animals? Uh, it was not, it's sitting on the clothes. But there we go. And it's a big crowd. Um, a census was taken some years after um, this about uh, how many people would have been in Jerusalem at the time. And a census was taken of how many lambs were slaughtered. And uh, the census counted a quarter of a million lambs being slaughtered at Passover in Jerusalem. And per lamb, you had to have, according to Jewish regulations, ten people. So you can do the math. With a quarter of a million lambs being slaughtered, every lamb there are ten people that go with it. So that's two and a half million people uh, packed into Jerusalem at least for the Passover. So when verse 9 says, the crowds went ahead of him, there's a lot of people milling around in Jerusalem. And there's huge expectation. And they're, you know, they welcome Hosanna. Hosanna means save. It's a cry of, it's a cry of help. When you're in trouble, it's the cry of help. It's Lord, save us. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. You know, they're, they're welcoming him. The crowds are cheering There's this huge expectation that Jesus is coming to be their saviour. And what he's going to do when he arrives is he's going to get rid of the Gentiles. He's going to defeat Israel's enemies. He's going to establish a new throne, a new kingdom. It's going to be a glorious day of victory. But then verse 12, it doesn't quite go according to plan. At least not the plan the Jews had in mind of what was going to happen. Something unexpected happens, because rather than kicking out the Gentiles, Jesus rides into the temple area and drives out all who are buying and selling. He overturns the table of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. He's furious. He says, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law are pretty tipped off. This is not what they were expecting to happen, but they should have kind of read the sign and remembered the dedication, the rededication of the temple that uh, Judas Maccabeus, when he came into Jerusalem, it was to cleanse 
the temple. It was to purify the temple. Why is Jesus so furious about this? Well, think what the temple is, is uh, what it represents. The thing about um, God and his relationship with his people is it's always been about God wanting to be present with his people. It's all about God wanting to restore what was lost in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. What is it that they enjoy? They enjoy walking in the presence of God. They enjoy living in the glory of God. Uh, Wednesday evening when we were uh, in our discussion groups at the Lent course, one of the questions um, was, you know, what would you say to someone? How would, you, about the, how would you explain the hope that you have in Christ? What would you, uh, you know, what would you say to someone? You say, well, why do you go to church on Sunday? What would you say if someone said, you know, Gene, why do you go to church on Sunday? Uh, why would you go? And one of the answers given was, well, to worship God. I go to worship God. I go to give him glory. I go to be in his glory. That's what we're created for. It's to live in the presence of God and the glory of God. And it was lost in the Garden of Eden. And the whole journey of salvation from the Bible, from beginning to end, is, well, how is that going to be restored? How is that going to be restored? Which is why in the Old Testament, God begins to appear to his people and he calls a people and he calls a nation. And in the heart of that nation, he puts his presence. Uh, In the Old Testament, when people were going into battle, uh, different nations would ride into battle and they carry with them at the head of their army uh, an image of their God, a carving. Uh, Whatever it would be, an image of their God, they would carry with them. What did the Israelites carry into battle? Uh, A box. An empty box. Well, it had the Ten Commandments in, but it's kind of, they carry this empty box in. And and other nations, they would, where's your God? And the reason there was no image was because it was God who was present with them. It was the presence of God. And then the tabernacle is established. It's the place where they can, the priests can go and meet with God. And then they become settled and they build a temple. And at the heart of the temple is the Holy of Holies. And in the Holy of Holies is what? The presence of God. And why do they go to the temple? It's to give God glory. And the presence of God is so holy and so majestic that only once a year, one person, the high priest, can go into the temple to plead God's Plead forgiveness on behalf of the nation. And then as you go out from the, from the Holy of Holies, there are different courts. There's the court of the priests. And then outside of that is the court of the Israelites. And then outside of that is the court of the women. And then outside of that is the court of the Gentiles. And the court of the Gentiles, it is the closest that those who are not Jews, it's the closest that they can come to the presence of God. What's God's plan of salvation? God's plan is that people should be allowed back into the presence of God. And the court of the Gentiles is the only place where Gentiles can go. It's the the nearest that they can go. A Gentile who is hungering and thirsting after God, it's the nearest that they can get to the presence of God. And what's it become? It's become a marketplace. Uh, When you went on pilgrimage to the temple, you had to pay a tax. You had to pay a temple tax, but you had to pay it in the temple currency. And there's an extortionate exchange rate. So you bring your humble little shekels and you have to get a sanctuary shekel and the, the, the exchange rate is extortionate. It's a money-making scam. If you're bringing doves to sacrifice, uh, you know, you can bring your own dove, 
but probably your own dove, it'll be rejected because someone will find fault with it and you have to offer a perfect animal. So you bring your humble little dove that you've brought from home and somebody will find a little blemish on it. So well, you can't offer that one, you'll have to buy one. But the ones you're going to buy from me are extortionately expensive. That, uh, you know, that's, this is all going on in, in the court of the Gentiles. And so the very place that is designed to be the place where Gentiles can draw near to God has been turned into a market. And that's why Jesus is so furious, because it's, it's preventing people from drawing near to God. It's preventing people from coming near to the glory of God. That's what it's all about. And so, this crowd, they welcome Jesus. They're like, yay, Messiah's here. It's all good. Going to get rid of the Gentiles. Hosanna to the son of David. But were they banking on him coming into the court of the Gentiles and overturning their tables and... Uh, starting to purify, starting to cleanse. Perhaps that's one of the reasons why the same crowd that welcomed him on Palm Sunday are shouting for him to be crucified by Good Friday because he doesn't do what they expect him to do. He disturbs them. He disturbs them. You know, they were expecting the military ruler and now they've got this this guy who's challenging them and, and overturning things and no wonder the chief priests want to put him to death. They're, they're outraged. So I was reflecting on this and, uh, and just thinking, well, what do, we, what do we take from this? What do we learn from this? You know, we come to church on a, on a Sunday morning. We come to chapel and we worship. And we welcome Jesus. And we're delighted to welcome Jesus. We love Jesus. We welcome him as our saviour. We love to come into the place where he is present. We love to come into the place where we can glorify him. But let's think about, well, where is, where is Jesus present? Jesus is not just present in this building where we come to worship. Jesus is present in us. We carry the presence of Jesus with us. In a few weeks' time, we'll be celebrating Pentecost. We'll be celebrating the gift of the Holy Spirit to the church. The fact that as Christians, we carry the presence of God with us. In the Old Testament, the temple was the place where people could come and encounter the presence of God. Well, in the New Testament, we are the place where people can come and encounter the presence of God. As you know, Alan was talking about at the start of the service, we may be the only Bible that people see. We carry the presence of Jesus in us. The question is, what is there in us that hinders people from encountering the presence of God. You know, we welcome Jesus. We love him. He's our saviour. He's our king. He's our redeemer. He's the one who forgives us when we mess up. Well, do we still welcome him when he challenges us? Do we still welcome him when he comes into our lives and starts overturning tables and throwing benches around? Because he sees the stuff in us that prevents other people from encountering his presence. Because he sees the way that we behave and he sees the things that we say and he sees the way that we are you know, behaving with other people and he sees that actually in the way that we're living we are presenting obstacles to people encountering Jesus. Because they know that we go to church and they know that we're Christians and then they look at our lives 
so often over the years I've heard people say, uh, well, you know, you're hypocrites. Christians are hypocrites. Because you say one thing and yet I look at your life. I remember a few years ago, a, a, a husband of a very close friend, and, uh, and, and this friend was... There was, just, there was stuff going on in the church of which they were a part that her, her husband was observing. And the way that this, she was being treated was just, it was, it was awful. It was just awful. And her non-Christian husband watched what was happening and made an assessment of the church. And, um, and, it, and it was just, it was a huge... You know, it's, it's so challenging. We welcome Jesus. But actually there are some tables that need overturning in our lives. There are some benches that need throwing around. Because Jesus says, I've called you to be my ambassadors in the world. I've called you to be my representatives in the world. It's through you that I want people to find me. It's through your life that I want people to see who I am. And yet you're doing stuff that you, you, you know, you're, you've got patterns of behaviour that just aren't honouring to me. You're doing things that just aren't honouring to me. You're not being a good ambassador. And uh, as I was really, you know, thinking and praying uh, about this passage this morning, I've, I've, you know, over the years I've always separated these two incidents of the triumphal entry into Jerusalem and Jesus cleansing the temple. But actually they're intimately entwined. They're they're both one and the same. That Jesus rides in to purify the temple. He rides in. Yes, he's coming to die on a cross. But actually he's riding in to try and purify the people of God. That they may be a light to the Gentiles. And so the challenge for for us and the, the challenge for me as I've been thinking about this is is, you know, what are the things in my life that prevent people seeing Jesus? What are the things that I do that prevent people seeing Jesus? What are the, the ways that I behave that prevent people seeing Jesus? Uh, and so often we just say, oh, well, oh, I can't help it, that's just me. Or, or sometimes we do stuff and we say, you know, and we say, oh, that was, oh, you know, it wasn't me. Well, who was it? <laughs> it's, just, it's just a ridiculous thing, isn't it? We do something really stupid, and we, oh, it wasn't me. And we're like, well, who else was it? It's just, it becomes an excuse. It's like, oh, it wasn't, you know, that's not really, but actually, if that's what we're doing, well, it was us. And it's a table that Jesus wants to overturn. You know, it's a bench he wants to, you know, throw around. Because Jesus is so, he's so passionate about people being able to live in his presence and see his glory. Because one day when Jesus returns, that will be our reality if we know Jesus. We're going to spend eternity in his presence, in his glory. And that's what Jesus is passionate about. That's why he's going to the cross. You know, what's the, the thing that happens as Jesus dies on the cross is the curtain of the temple is torn in two. Curtain of the temple that separates the holy of holies from the world. That's why Jesus died. That's what he's passionate about. And so he gets really angry when he sees things in us, his people, who carry his presence, that prevent people coming to meet 
with him and be with him. So that's my, my challenge for us this morning, is if we're serious about being Christ's ambassadors and sharing Jesus with others, then we have to be serious about holiness. We have to be serious about the sin in our lives. We have to be serious about not just welcoming Jesus um, as our King, as our Saviour, as our Lord, but actually giving him permission to overturn the tables and overturn the benches and overturn the things in us. So I want to uh, just um, just take some time uh, just for us to pray and just to ask the Lord to, to search our hearts this morning and to search eyes. And it may well be that we, we just know, we just know what it is. We know, there's, we know there's a way that we behave that is not honouring to God. Uh, we may know that you know, there's just a pattern of behaviour in our lives that is you know, it's not honouring to God. And we just say, oh, it wasn't me. Uh, well, it was, it is. And Jesus wants to change it. So I want to just have an opportunity for us to invite. Invite Jesus. You know, we know he's our saviour. 